Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Tell you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. That's hot. Hello there, children. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary. Monday, January 4th, 2010. Welcome to season six of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. And a happy new year to everybody. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast, finally giving that voice to nearly 5 million young adults affected by cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because this stupid cancer show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends. We are here to change the world, one chemo infusion at a time, and share all of our collective craftness with our dear friends. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the next generation of survivors and co-survivors. You see, it's all about us, folks, and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignored us for far too long. You see, the past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation, so there's no reason to think the next 30 will be any different unless change happens right here, right now. So join us and be that change that needs to happen. Hell, we invented Google, we invented Facebook and Twitter, we kept Sanjaya on American Idol all those weeks. We can do whatever we want to do. This is Generation Cancer. It is our fight and our duty to give back to our own. We have the sheer numbers, the voting power, and the influence to change those rules. Because remission is no excuse for cure, and survivorship is all that really matters. Last week's show, Who the Hell is Hodgkins, featuring, well, it was supposed to feature Ethan Zahn, but he decided to go have his stem cell transplant that day. Go figure. Senior Vice President of Patient Services at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Hildy Dillon, and the one and only Dr. Leonard Sender, I2I Chairman of the Board. Clinical Professor of Medicine at Chow Family Comprehensive Cancer Center and Director of Oncology Services at UC Irvine. Tonight's show, the season premiere, season six, No Evidence of Disease, with special guest, returning champion, the one and only Johnny Immerman, young adult testicular cancer survivor and founder of Immerman Angels. Joining us also live tonight, doctors Nimesh Nagarsheth and Joni Hope. Nimesh is the assistant professor for the Division of Gynecologic Oncology at Mount Sinai 
He's a drummer and percussionist for the No Evidence of Disease Band. Joni Hope is the division of a fellow at the Division of Gynecological Oncology Department of OBGYN at NYU School of Medicine, and she is the lead vocalist for the No Evidence of Disease Rock Band. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Coming at you live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult pediatric brain cancer survivor. Joining me live in the studio, as always, tonight, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Bufard. Hello, Jack. Hey, Matt. How's it going, brother? Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Someone said you sounded like George Takei in the chat room, so I'm putting on a horribly fake oh, really? ethnocentric Chinese accent. Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room, so if you have something to say, let him have it and grill him with simple questions to stump his tiny little brain. What? Yes, exactly. Wow. And now it is my absolute pleasure. pleasure um, it's a short drum roll, but to introduce tonight, it's a short <laughs> drum roll. It's the best we can do with this. We have a low budget. You got me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> to welcome for the first time my brand new official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from right here in New York City, young adult survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide, and get this, folks, former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the lovely, beautiful, talented, and Fantastic. Man, you're going to love this girl. Lisa Bernard. Wow. I'm overwhelmed. Thank you so much, Mr. Zachary. Fantastic to be here. That's Dr. Zachary. We have enough doctors in this room. (laughs) We are loaded. We are are chock full of doctors tonight. We're loaded, all right. Very impressive. (laughs) We are doctor overload. (laughs) No. Ne- never too many doctors. That is true. Especially yeah. ones who can play musical instruments. Yes, exactly. Wow. So that, does that make me a doctor because I play a musical instrument? Which flute do you play again? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no. And this lovely young man next to me, Johnny Immerman, who uh, you called him returning champ, and he's got the muscles that look, make him look like a returning champ. Wow. Johnny has this no guy, body fat. This guy hits the gym. Johnny has even his brain. No, what, no what, about, brain. what about these guns right here? What about this gun? <laughs> oh, you're, uh, you're pistol whipping yourself, dude. Don't do that. Uh I, I, think, think I, heard, I, think, I think I just threw out my back flexing my arm. I think I just threw up watching you flex. <laughs> I think Johnny can spot you in the gym, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he can train you. Well, we have, a, 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 we have our largest live studio audience in the history of this show, right here in the chemo deck. And it's my pleasure to welcome back uh, into our live studio audience uh, Mary Aslin from Rhode Island. Hello, Mary. Hello. Happy New Year. Thanks, you as well. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? That's a lovely porn voice you have. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing later? Can you call me? I'm speechless. We love you. That's why we kid. Are she you really from her voice? No, I love her voice. Are you no, really she was, from Rhode Island? She was kidding before because she was telling us that there were people who thought that she she worked for a porn phone service or something. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I do not work for a porn No, you don't. You know, but people thought you did because you have such a lovely voice. What? what I've been complimenting your voice all day. Will you talk That's... to me for five minutes? I'll give you a dollar. No. <laughs> Just start talking in a lower tone. There's already harassment going on in this male-dominated show. We have a yeah. We, there's a lot of there's a lot of testosterone here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Welcome also, to the show, Mary. Mary, Mary, we'll get revenge on them later. <laughs> no, you will. Okay. Trust me. She already has revenge on Jack. That's okay. But also joining us tonight, brand new I2Wire, straight thanks to Johnny Immerman, 
Uh, welcome. Straight um, next, thanks to Johnny Emmerman? Yeah, she, she, she turned straight because of Johnny Emmerman. <laughs> oh, Johnny, what are you doing there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome Amanda Freeman to the show. Amanda is our latest addition to the Super Cancer Show team. She is our broadcast production assistant selling an internship, and we are incredibly happy to be here, uh, ha- to have her here with us, and we're happy to all that stuff, whatever I meant to say. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, too. And you are a young adult survivor as well. I am. Osteosarcoma. Seven months. Woo! Congratulations. <laughs> Welcome to the world of stupid cancer. Can't wait. <laughs> exactly. And who else do we have here tonight? We have... Um, well, we, uh, Johnny Emmerman brought a friend to the show tonight. Her name is Jenny Finn. She is the founder and executive director of ABCD After Breast Cancer Diagnosis. Um, Please thanks. welcome Jenny Finn. Mm, thanks, but I'm not the founder. I'm just the executive director. I just gave you a job upgrade. Okay. You deserve a raise now. You well, should thank me. Uh, that, thank you. Okay. Um, but the, our founder is Melody Wilson. Adored her. Okay. And, um, we're just really glad to be here, and great to be Johnny. You can always lie on the show. No one really knows. Well, actually, There's no one they, listening either. So. No, they are, because I told them to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jenny Finn is not the founder, but she is the executive director right. of ABCD After Breast Cancer Diagnosis, which apparently is the female Immerman Angels. Did I, did I hear that right? No, no, no. Immerman Angels is the... Male mm, ABCD? Kind of, yeah. We'll get okay. into the one-on-one, one-to-one thing Okay. Later, yeah. We can compare genital... Oncology so more balls mission statements. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, no. This is what I signed on for? This is exactly oh. what you signed on for. <laughs> okay. And obviously, our, interestingly enough, our, both of our guests from the No Evidence of Disease Band, doctors uh, Nimish Nagarsheth and Johnny Hope, are here in the studio tonight, but they brought a friend as well. We have 10 people in this room, ladies and gentlemen. 10 people. It's 95 degrees in this room. Please welcome to the show Brian Sarkinen. Is that how it's pronounced? That's Say hello. Hello, everyone. Brian, what are you doing here? I'm documenting uh, the No Evidence of Disease crew, and uh, hopefully it'll be a documentary coming out soon. Well, very exciting. Do we get to keep the film when you shoot it? Sure. All right, do we have to sign a video release? Yes. All right, good. Excellent. Wait, so, Matt, I have a question. Do we have a porn star and a cameraman in the studio tonight? <laughs> Mary is never coming uh, back ever again. Bucks. What do I get for 10 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, never mind. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. So anyway, Lisa, I'd yes. like you to introduce yourself to our lovely listenership. I can't sing your praises enough. It's you just a... did such a fine job. Well, like I said, I can't sing them enough, <laughs> and I don't sing. Right. So I, I wanted to tell everybody your, your, your cancer story. Lisa is herself a young adult survivor. Uh, I forget even how we met, but I'm just so... I forget, too. Yeah. We were at a sushi place. We were, yeah. <laughs> the first time we met. And I was drunk off my ass for some reason. <laughs> Well, you didn't arrive drunk. No, personally. I didn't. I became drunk. You, yes. <laughs> you did. It was a process. So you are a young adult survivor of? I am. Breast cancer, age 29, which is, uh, I'll give away my age here, 14 years. Days ago. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. That's the nicest thing you've ever said or will say to me exactly. ever. Exactly. See, she got to read on you I right away. I just want you to come back next week, so I'm being nice. <laughs> I'm more than just eye candy. <laughs> Oh, boy, you're so close to me, too. I can reach out and touch you. Oh, my Go God. right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that dollar? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. So uh, you were diagnosed yes. with breast cancer. You li- were you living in the city at the time? I was. I was living in New York City, and uh, I had a couple of opinions here and there and everywhere, and eventually uh, ended up at Columbia Presbyterian and had fabulous doctors there, uh, most of whom have left Columbia Presbyterian and are elsewhere. 
um, say for my uh, gynecologist who's still affiliated with them, but everybody else has moved on to other fine institutions. Absolutely amazing team of doctors. Yes, I was 29. Yes, it was a completely lonely and isolating experience because particularly back then it was very much uh, still viewed as an older woman's disease. And I remember going to uh, some very lofty doctors, one elderly man in particular, who looked at me and said, you know, why? You're, you're, you're rather young to have this. <laughs> you know, what do you say to that exactly when you're in the throes of it? It's you like, say, you next know, time I'll try harder. <laughs> yeah, or, well, I've always been mature for my age. I mean, right. there's no really good, it's like, I know, I'm screwed, help me. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, make me feel like more of a freak than I already feel like. Um, what were you doing at the time? What was I doing? I was in the magazine world. Um, I was working as a writer and editor at a television magazine, so covering celebrities and writing about them and interviewing them, which is what I've done for most of my career. And uh, it was, you know, I had the biopsy, and everybody said, you know, the doctors, oh, you're young, this is, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, but let's just do this surgical biopsy, blah, blah, blah. One thing led to another, and then it wasn't fine. And um, I did have breast cancer on my, my, my dad's mother had it, but I was... Um, Jean tested, and even though she is um, of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, uh, I tested negative on the gene test. So um, interesting. Yeah, don't know what's going on there, but uh, so far that's been the news. But um, yeah, was had surgery, had uh, uh, mastectomy with reconstruction, and uh, using my own tissue from my uh, what they call the free flap from my abdomen, had chemotherapy. And recently wrote a long piece about Reconstruction for Self magazine that was in the October issue, obviously the October Handbook for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, still up on the website if anybody wants to check it out on self.com, which was um, based on all these alarming studies, most of which were coming out of the University of Michigan, doctors there, um, Amy Alderman being a lead doctor, about all these studies showing that lots of women today are not given enough information about reconstructive procedures. Which is so true. Not told about all their options. Obviously, finance is paying a big part, um, insurance there. And one large crux of it, just to try to make this long story a little bit shorter, is that um, in particular surgeries like mine using your own tissues, a lot of patients not told about that because insurance reimbursements are low, pretty much the same as it would uh, be as doctors would be reimbursed for an implant, and they can do about 10 implants in the time it takes to do one long free flap surgery. So oftentimes they will just consciously or unconsciously sort of leave that piece of the information out, the, the transplant that I have. And so I wrote this sort of big investigative piece about it for Self Magazine. It had a lot of wonderful doctors and patients who participated in that. And uh, had shot a video for the Young Survivors Coalition, another great organization. I know Jenna sure. Glazer, yeah, and others have we been on your YFC. show. They're a fabulous organization. When, um, when we like another organization, we really like another <laughs> yeah. organization. They're a great group, as well as Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and they did they yes. do a big annual conference for young women, uh, young survivors. Jack's going. Yeah, I'm going. It's in Atlanta at the end of February. That's right. Yeah. You're going to be there? I'll be there. Wow. We have a table Are and a kidding? booth and everything. With the hundreds of breast cancer survivors in the 20s and 30s, of course I'm going to be there. I was going to say 800 chicks, you're there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Jack's going hunting. Fishing. <laughs> hunting and fishing. <laughs> oh, no. You didn't go there, did you? I guess I did. Yeah, I don't know what did. I'm talking yeah. about. It's a, it's a great event, and we did a, I did a video for them uh, for Self.com, also for all the young, amazing stories, amazing young women, amazing survivors there. Absolutely. And two great organizations. So anyway, so that's that's me and my sort of... So how long was your speed bump? Sort of like, did you get back to work soon? Uh, I was out of commission from... I remember I had the surgery six days after my 30th birthday, which is in May. So that was May 16, 1995. And then I went back to work after Labor Day weekend, 
Um, so, but I was having, I can't even, boy, it's even fuzzy now to talk about when the chemo. That's a good thing, though, that you forgot it. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's amazing. Amazing to think that I've forgotten it after this time. Um, I think I was, I was back to work and I was still having the chemo treatments at that time after I went back to work. But the whole sort of recovery surgically and being able to stand up straight after having all this tissue taken from my belly that then went to my breast was, you know, I was kind of like early man. You know, I was at a sort of 45-degree angle and then had to learn how to stand up straight again. Crow-Lisa. Crow-Lisa, exactly. That was probably the toughest part. I'm very quick. I'm very quick. This is. This is. It keeps on your toes here. That's good. Um. So yeah. So that was. Uh, so then you went back to broadcast journalism. I went back. I was in magazines at the time. I went okay. back to magazines, and uh, I think I sort of, you know, I was very vocal about my illness at the time when I was going through it. I would grab anybody on the street that I could talk to to say, <laughs> "Hey, this is what I'm going through." And I needed to talk it through and really get it out. But I didn't have. Um, I didn't know a lot of people my age going through this. Had was really really fortunate to have amazing family and friends uh, around me. My parents who were, you know spectacular and my sister and friends and everybody just a core group of people that um really helped me get through it but it's but you know it really is quite meaningful when you finally get to meet somebody that's at least somewhat close to your age i got to meet some women in their um later 30s that some doctors introduced me to who kind of really became my heroes um uh two women in particular uh kathy Stizak and joanne laughlin if i don't know if they're listening out there but uh they will always be two great heroes of mine um, who've gone through it and really helped. And uh, so, yeah, just, and then I think, you know, you kind of, for me, you kind of withdraw, with, you want to go back to regular life and don't really want to talk about cancer uh, so much. And so I spent a number of years sort of not talking about it. And now 14 years out, it's great to be able to talk about it again and reach out and talk to other folks going through it. Uh, So let me ask you one other question before we get to the news here. Um, What's your take on pink? On the color pink, not the rock star. Or the singer? I like oh. her. I like her. She's very <laughs> yeah, talented. I love pink. She's, She's incredibly great. talented. Uh, my take on the color pink. Not like from Crayola perspective. I understand. <laughs> from a pink breast washing. cancer perspective. Yeah. yeah. Pink nausea. I haven't given this deep thought, actually. Um, I mean, I actually, I mean, I look good in pink. So, selfishly speaking, I if I wear pink sweater, well, no, no, well, fashion, fashion, not with I know, I know. And the YSC is very pink, but it's it's an acceptable pink. And they just rebranded, so they're a different pink now, which is a much more tolerable pink. Okay. Yeah. So it's all about shades of pink. Shades of pink. Okay. That's my new band. (laughs) That's that's nice. That's my new line of hamburgers. (laughs) Rare, medium rare. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I, I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I'm not opposed to it. It's, I mean, look, if it calls attention to a cause and it's there and it's visible and it's entrenched in people's minds and, it, you know, for something that's, uh, that is, that is trying to do a good thing, uh, I'm not opposed to it. That said, I haven't given it tremendously deep thought and I'm with you that there are better and worse shades of pink. How's that? I think that that's a very diplomatic answer for your very first broadcast. <laughs> Let's just and wait till October over, hits. Diplomatic over pink, no less. It's not yes. like I can't come out and trash pink. Right. <laughs> no, you know. No, just wait for October. Pink police. <laughs> and yeah. we're the pink police in October. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to the news. Jack has a couple of things to uh, to talk a about. A couple. Just a couple. So I, I and actually, Lisa, you'll learn this. You, I know you were on the show. You sat on the show last last year. But uh, the best part of Jack reading the news, it's almost become a cultural staple of the show, is that he just stumbles through it, <laughs> like he's drunk. A uh, rumbling. Fumbling, stumbling, and tumbling. So here we go. 
Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff happening all across the country. If you have an upcoming program, event, or press release that you would like to hear broadcast during this segment on the Super Cancer Show, please fax it to us at 877-794-6902 or email Jack Lafard at jack at i2y.com. Take it away, brother. Thanks for that. Happy New Year. Here is your stupid cancer news. Head on over to events.i2y.com. Events.i2y.com is the official social calendar of the OMTR for this Cancer Foundation. Upcoming events are as follows. Thursday, January 14th at Mario's in New York City, I2Y is proud to present our Stupid Cancer Winter Wonderland Cancerversary Party. What the heck is a Stupid Cancer Cancerversary Party, is you ask? Well, it's just like an unbirthday party, only the complete opposite. Grab your friends and come out for a night celebrating the cause. There will be drink specials, and like all I2Y events, there is no cover charge. Speaking of no cover charge, you won't need to part ways with any of your loonies or toonies when attending Stupid Cancer Taco Time. Stupid Cancer Taco Time is being held Tuesday, January 26th at Under the Volcano in London, Ontario, Canada. Are you a young adult survivor who would like to begin an exercise program? If so, the National Cancer Institute is funding Survivor Step Into Motion. For more information regarding this program, contact Santina Horowitz at 401-793-8124. Calling all young adult cancer survivors in Bend, Oregon. Defeat Cancer Young Adult Survivors Network is forming a group for you. If you were diagnosed with cancer before age 45, please join us for our first meeting, Tuesday, January 12th at the St. Charles Medical Center. To RSVP for our meeting, which includes a light supper, or to learn more, visit www.defeatcancer.info. The New York City chapter of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society presents Writing for Your Life a journal writing workshop for cancer survivors. The focus of this workshop is to use writing as a means to empower the cancer patient during diagnosis, treatment, and recovery, and will be led by leukemia survivor and author Deborah Ludwig. There are five Wednesday evening sessions beginning January 13th, and to register for Writing for Your Life, contact Maria Feeney at area code 212-376-4770. Yaks of D.C., is a young adult survivor support community made possible by our friends at Smith Farm. Join them on the first Tuesday of the month for various group events and wellness activities. Upcoming events are as follows. Tomorrow, Tuesday, January 5th, Chris Carr's Crazy Sexy Cancer Movie and Discussion. Saturday, January 16th, Ice Skating at the Smithsonian. And Lisa Goldstein will be presenting the First Descent Program and showing the camp documentary at the February meetup. All events are held at Smith Farm, and for more information, please call 202-483-8600 or email yaksofdc at gmail.com. Speaking of First Ascents, our friends at First Ascents are excited to announce their 2010 camp schedule. Head on over to www.firstascents.org to check out the dates and locations as well as the date application for each camp. They offer climbing camps in Utah and Colorado, kayaking trips in White Salmon, Washington, Montana, and Vail, Colorado. Speaking of retreats and camps, 
head on over to campdream.org. They, too, have, a, have announced their 2010 schedule. They are offering a, an ovarian cancer retreat, a young adult survivors conference, a young adults conference for those in or out of treatment, a teen heads-up conference, a teen camp, a siblings camp, a kids camp, a heads-up conference, and an ovarian cancer retreat, as well as a women's cancer retreat. All dates and information are on campdream.org. Next up, we have 70k.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. Moving on to cancer care programs. The young adult groups that are active and running at cancer care are as follows. Living with cancer, life after cancer, young adults loss of a parent, young women with breast cancer, young adult grief, individual grief counseling, and young adult caregiver for all diagnoses and relationships. More information can be found at cancercare.org. And finally, we have Live On, sperm banking by mail for cancer patients. Don't do what I did, guys. Mailing sperm without a Live On kit is frowned on by our federal government. For more information on live sperm banking by mail, go to www.liveonkit.com. Live Sperm Banking by Mail is made possible by our friends at Fertile Hope, and I would like to send a big thank you to the law firm of Dewey, Scrum, and Howe for clearing up my embarrassing situation with the United States Postal Service. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Cancer News. You know, Jack, I, I just have to say... Yes. I don't know. I don't think you know Futurama very well, but there's... I don't know it at well, all. Well, Bender is... You know why? Right. Because I'm an adult. Yeah, that's true. No, you're not. <laughs> ben, you just hinted at... I'm not going to go there. Okay, anyway, well, go ahead. Anyway, the robot in, in Futurama is Bender, and the way robots operate in the future is they have to be drunk in order to function. Yeah. And there's an episode where Bender stops drinking, and, and they're like, have you been up all night not drinking? But And he became like, you know, just like this... He became drunk for not having alcohol. You just read the news yeah. so well yeah. that you must be drunk. No. I got hooked on phonics for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and I was determined <laughs> to know how to read Remember that by PSA? 2010. Remember that PSA from, from, the, from the 80s or 90s? It was like, you know, um, what is that? It was like, like... I learned to read. It was like reading is fundamental. Remember Riff? Yes. Yeah, from I the did. 80s. What was sure. that? We're not as old as you we, are, Matt. What? <laughs> Excuse <laughs> you, Jack. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait, hey, don't oh, you no. have to be nice to Lisa. <laughs> You're expendable. She's not. <laughs> what was it called? So what's your point? No, I, just, I don't even remember. What's your what point? I know how to read. Riff That's reading is fundamental, but... You're right. I don't remember exactly what was that a, was. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I know what it was. It was like some kid in a classroom that said something really intelligent, and the teacher's like, "How'd you learn that?" And the kid goes, "Reading." That's what it was. <laughs> All right. So in the two and a half minutes it took me to get to the punchline, <laughs> it's completely gone. Yeah. I take full credit for wrecking the entire. You know why I did the news really well? Why? Because you told the audience that I wouldn't. You said I would stumble oh, through so it. Oh, so it's the reverse buffology. It I is. Get it. Okay. Yeah, I made you look like an ass. <laughs> I don't think that's too hard to do, <laughs> especially when I'm here at the mic. <laughs> Reverse pathology. See, I'm just picking up the terminology now of the show. This you is know, great. And, and this all comes from the Simpsons, who just put two words together. You know, I, and I found out there's actually, there's actually an English term for doing this. When you take, like, craptastic, you just put two things together. It's called a neologism. Go look it up. Oh, that, wait, what? Neologism. Neologism. 
It's just break it down. Like new word, like Latin, neo, leologism. That's what it is. But, but 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 you know when you take two people's names and put them together, that's a portmanteau. That is true. Like Brangelina. Yes, that is true. Yes. Yes, or Benefer. Or Benefer. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. You didn't meet Brangelina in your travels, did you? Uh, I've met them on some red carpets. I haven't had sit-down quality time with them. Okay. But I've had some uh, some red carpet <laughs> some red carpet banter with both <clears throat> with both of them. Okay, I was just curious. But Matt, anyway, to, you know how I went from dumb to smart overnight. There's a song that I, has been going through my head, and this is oh, what, what we motivates this me all to day do it. today. Yeah. yeah, I am so smart. S M R T. Wow, wow. And that's <sighs> what got, that's what got me through it. Oh my God, this is why we're always late when we do the show. <laughs> well, you're, you're 2000 and late. Uh, all right, let me introduce our first guest here, who is literally right here. <laughs> My first guest never sends me an introduction, so I always have to make it up on the spot. Johnny Immerman is a seven-year survivor of testicular cancer, a Chicago native. He went through the experience as a young adult not being connected to the right support for him. And was it five years ago he started IA? About five years. Five years ago, he founded Immerman Angels, which is the nation's leading one-to-one direct peer connection that isn't ABCD breast cancer. <laughs> it is one of the most amazing young adult, or actually all adult, all American, whatever, cancer organization in the country. Um, he's bald, he has one testicle, he's really thin, Jewish, and single. And he, he unnecessarily adds consonants. That's my agent, by the way. All of his communications. So, without any further ado... Please welcome the real Johnny Emmerman. This moment is brought to you by Emmerman Angel, T-Well number one. I can't believe they have a cut of that. They use way too much on me. Johnny! Flattered to be here. Thanks again, guys, for having me in. What oh. an intro. You guys are too nice to me. We do what we can. Well, Jack's on payroll now. I, I heard about that. I am? Word yeah, is spread. You, zero is payroll. Oh. Well, you fed me dinner. That's good enough for me. Yeah, it's better than a paycheck. <laughs> exactly. You got him breakfast the other day? That's right. Yeah, yes, we feed him all the time. I'll go anywhere for free food. In fact, when I saw that, that promo in Bend, Oregon that I read included dinner, I might fly out there just for that. Exactly, exactly. Me too, actually. Free food. There we go. So, Johnny, what brings you to New York? Thanks so much again for having me in, guys. Excited to be here. Uh, always a pleasure to see this crew and so many survivors here and oncologists here. And, uh, you know, Ginny is here from Milwaukee as well. we got a couple out-of-towners with uh, ABCD doing great things with one-to-one cancer support, specifically with breast cancer. So I- I'm flattered to be here again. I think this is number five or six, we've said, uh, two times in the office, so the second time here. Uh, I came in to see my brother, get a little family time. Uh, my brother's girlfriend, Michelle Gielin, who's phenomenal. Uh, she had to work, so we did New Year's together in her office, um, which was great. And I just really hung out for a couple days. Um, tomorrow we're actually going to Sloan Kettering to speak to the nurses and the social workers and uh, some oncologists over there bright and early um, and get the word out for what we do. You know, what really I, – I, and it just was amazing that you guys asked me to come back on again. I'm always flattered and always have a good time with this crew. Um, you know, what we do at Emmerman Angels, it's all about awareness. I mean, I, I was 26 when I was diagnosed. I had the greatest mom. I had the best friends, uh, great doctors. I had everything, really. Uh, I was very lucky. But the one missing puzzle piece for me was simply I could not find anyone in the 20s who could look me square in the eye and say, look, buddy, I've been where you're going. I've done this, been there, beat it. 
I'm in the gym, I go to work, I have a family, I look normal, life is great, uh, you're going to survive, you're going to be okay. That sort of friendship would have absolutely changed my mindset, you know, during treatment, and that's why we're on this this, this crusade, this mission to, to make sure that every single person fighting cancer can find someone who can look them in the eye and tell them that and say, I'm like you, I'm your age, I'm your gender, I beat your cancer. Three, four years ago, life is phenomenal. Let's talk about it. Let me help you get through this. Very nice. Can I jump in here with a uh, – I was very um, moved looking at the website, um, your website for your organization, and you've got a letter on there that's really great that describes your entire experience, some of which you've just told us. And you said that you literally would walk around with your IV in the hospital and go from room to room, and just when you saw people who were alone, you just hated the fact that they were alone. And you just walk into the room and say, hey, I've got this kind of cancer. What kind of cancer do you have? And you got them to start talking. I mean – how did you, you're obviously, you seem like a pretty outgoing guy, but was it the cancer that kind of changed you, that got you so verbal and needed you to connect to other people? Were you just an outgoing person? How did you, how did you have the wherewithal to just kind of walk into these people's rooms and get this going? You know, it's a, it's a great question, Lisa. You know, I, but pre-cancer, you know, pre-26 for me, um, I do have hair, by the way. Uh, I do have a shaved head now. It's been bald. Wait, you had hair? I, I, it's, it's weird to look at old pictures of me with hair. It even freaks my friends out from high school. But pre-cancer, you know, I always loved people, and I always loved uh, working with people, being around people. Uh, the difference, Johnny, pre-cancer and Johnny post-treatment was that all this energy and, and all this uh, enjoyment that I got from, from connecting people and working with people, but it was unchanneled. And after treatment, I realized how to channel my energy and channel something that I always loved doing, which was being around people and connecting people, and to use what I've always loved to, to, to fill a specific need in the cancer world. And when I realized that, you know, people are isolated every single day in this country, in this world, who are fighting cancer, they just don't know automatically someone who also is 24, who also beat osteosarcoma, who also had it in their uh, left, you know, pinky toe. Sorry, there's only two pinky toes. In your pinky toe, let's just say that. <laughs> or whatever toe it is. But we, we can do it. We can find somebody out there who's had it in the same spot. And when I realized that there was such a need to connect in the cancer world, my energy became much more channeled. And, you know, I, I was the kind of guy that would walk up to anybody and talk to anyone before. But the difference is you, you're on a mission now. And you've, you've channeled it. You've, you've almost been like through a funnel. You know, we have a very narrow, we always say it's a very narrow, razor-sharp mission uh, that we have. It's like laser-focused, you know, one-on-one -on -one support. And when you are able to, to, to take what you love, apply it to an experience you've been through, and then use it to create something to, to make a connection and a match for someone who simply doesn't have it, um, it's the ultimate uh, for me. I mean, I enjoy every minute of every hour of what I do. And the people that we make meet and are able to match, it's, it's the greatest. I'm very lucky to get to do this every day. That's cool. That's great. Matty, you going to jump in here? You... No, I think you're doing oh. a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'll give you another five minutes. Well, thank you very much. No, I, 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 let me ask John the question that I asked him at breakfast yesterday because um, I, I felt the need. Not, I don't need to put you on the spot, but I think it's, you have such an aggressive and very public mission to ensure that every cancer survivor in this country is connected to a, a fighter. Is that what you call them? Exactly. And, and, you know, on paper that sounds great, and I'm not debunking, you know, I love you and I love the organization, but how is it logistically feasible to ensure 100% of anything? Great question. Challenges would make us all work harder. And, you know, we wanted to create a lofty goal. 
Uh, we didn't want to make a goal that was going to we were going to finish in 75% of the time. We sought to 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 finish it. Our goal, concrete, black and white, by 2013, January 1st, which is exactly three years from now. Uh, so we're two years into it. Is that every single person, every American diagnosed with cancer at any age, young and old, is able to find a survivor just like them who beat their type of cancer and says, look, I want to work with you. I want to help you. We know they're out there. There's no question they're out there. But how, you're right. In the next three years, how are we going to get out there and make this uh, system uh, available to every single person who's sick? And, you know, it, it's an exponential thing, fortunately. You know, uh, the rate of growth is higher every single day that we go. Um, well, it's a moving target. It's a moving target, no question. It's a moving target. 1.4 million uh, Americans every year, year in, year out, are, are diagnosed. Hopefully that number comes down, but we want to hit that number every year and make this available to every person. How are we going to do that? There's a three-pronged marketing approach. Let's say three buckets to explain this. The first bucket is the medical system. You know, we have two doctors here. How do we get in front of the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, the entire medical system? All the hospitals. I mean, everyone's going to get diagnosed in a hospital. We've got to get in front of them. We've got to get them fired up about this idea. We've got to prove to them that it works and that it helps people and that it motivates and inspires and people um, are happier and they fight with more energy, more vigor. Um, number two, the second uh, bucket is I2I, Live Strong, the American Cancer Society, groups that forward people to us. They refer cancer fighters to us because they simply don't do one-on-one support. And we have a very unique, specific niche in the cancer world. So all these groups send us people. Uh, you know, Amanda, who's sitting right next to me right now, is awesome to see her be a survivor of seven months of osteosarcoma. And this is a beautiful example with Amanda. Not only is she wonderful, but she found I2Y first before she found anyone else. I2Y sent her to Emmerman Angel. Emmerman Angels connected her to a survivor, also of osteosarcoma, her age. And they were just emailing, I think, before the show tonight, and they're still close friends. And that, to me, that's the collaboration of the cancer world. We need that across the board. And the third bucket I want to say also real quickly is the general media. You know, you need the Chicago Tribune. You need New York Times. Uh, Andrew Angels in the Wall Street Journal about a month and a half ago. We got 27 survivors uh, that day. And then the next day. And then the next day we had fighters from Anchorage, Alaska, fighters from um, Florida, from Canada, from all over. We had a couple from India, actually, that came in. We're able to make connections for all these people across the world. That's the third bucket is the general media wearing T-shirts, just like Mr. Buffard's shirt over here. <laughs> I, I look know, sexy today. He does wear an IA shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that, that's how we're going to get there. And I will say this. It's an exponential thing, and I honestly believe that sometimes you don't make a year-by-year-by-year plan, but you just give it all you got. And if you give it all you got and you wake up every day, we have a staff of five, four of us are cancer survivors, I mean, I don't need to motivate my crew. Yep. My crew wakes up with fire in their belly every day because they know exactly what it's like. All four of us fought cancer without survivors, all yep. of us, all yep. young adults, yep. all young adults, all without survivors. And, and to me, you just believe. In the same way I love that you love my development strategy, <laughs> I just believe. <laughs> we don't ask anyone for dollars, money. I've never asked anyone for one dollar. Johnny's development strategy it's is it's, we're just going to put it out there and hope. <laughs> Build it and they will come. It's like the Matrix. I love it. You're, just, my, you're, my you're Neo. Just yeah, he's got a great team working for him, too. <laughs> no, you do, and you kind of own Chicago. It's, 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 it's a city that needs someone like you, but someone like you really wouldn't work in New York because there's like 500 of you. And it's, it's sad. I mean, we need 500 people in this city, but... Even, like, we just get so diluted, and, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm geo-jealous geo of the fact that you have – we were even joking yesterday. Johnny doesn't remember anybody that he meets, but he knows what they drink in the morning for beverages. 
and that what makes Johnny delayed. Jack, you got to do this impression. Here's what makes Johnny late for everything, because he's walking down the street, he's on his way, and then he spots somebody. It could be a beggar on the street or a homeless guy or some cabbie in an accident, and he'll know them. He'll be like, he'll be like, hey, what's up, number one? You're feeling strong? You're still putting lemon in your tea? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But i got to give you credit. I mean, after all these years, you, you know so many people, but you retain who they are. And I think that's a, that's a real gift. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, you know you're doing the right thing in this world when it's hard to focus on a lot of other things in life. But when someone's staring me in the eyes and telling me their cancer story, I will remember it. You know, that, that to me is the number one thing I can do in this world is, is this mission. And you focus on it, and you, you adore the people you meet. And I'm lucky to be friends with some of my best friends are survivors with our network. So uh, when you enjoy it, I think for everyone in life, you know, any young adult doing the cancer world or not, if you enjoy what you do and you're passionate about it, everything is going to come a little bit easier. You're probably going to be a lot better at it. Very cool. Lisa, final question? Sure. Is there any advice that you give to the folks who volunteer for your organization, or do they just do you just trust folks to – sort of impart what they've gone through to other uh, survivors? And also, what differences do you find, if any, between male and female survivors in terms of emoting or, you know, passing along what they know or really kind of having that, you know, emotional relating experience? It's a great question, you know. Um, and the, it's great that the oncologists are here, too, because this is a question I get a lot from social workers and from oncologists and for nurses, all for good reason. It's a great question. You know, how do we screen? How do we filter? How do we make sure? I mean, lack of a better term. I mean, they all have good intentions. Anyone who calls us as a survivor to give back and share their story, you know, for no compensation other than the goodness of your heart because you want to motivate someone else and make sure they get to the finish line, is a good person. I mean, let's say that first. But I will say this. Not everyone's ready um, immediately. Um, I was one person that, you know, I gave my first speech to 350 people, you know, two weeks after my last chemo. I mean, I was still in a haze a little bit, but I just was open, and, you know, I wasn't shy about it, and I wanted to make a difference. Um, and other people, you know, it's going to take them six months. It's going to take them two years. It may take them – they'll never be able to do it, and that's okay. It's an, it's an individual case-by-case basis. So what we do is we, as survivors in our office, get to know every single survivor who joins to help someone else out. We speak to them. We get to know them. It's an informal interview, uh, for that matter, to protect everyone, to protect them, to protect the fighter that they're going to be connected to, to protect the organization, everyone involved. We want to feel confident and comfortable at the end of that conversation that, sur- that survivor is, one, healed enough, um, is, two, is capable and equipped, and, three, is in a positive frame of mind to really help someone because these fighters do have needs. And if it doesn't work, the match that we make, it's okay. We always tell every fighter, just call us again. We'll find you somebody else. No harm, no foul. But we want to get it right the first time, and we want to make sure survivors are equipped and able to do it. Um, we just recently came up with a, um, a three-pager that basically to-dos and not-to-dos for every survivor so we can email it to them and give them some guidance. But you've you got to do that to make sure that the quality of the match is there. That's the goal. You know, how do we motivate the people the most? And you've got to make sure the fighters and survivors are equipped on both sides to make it work. That's the magic in it all. Well, there you go. Johnny's going to stick around, but uh, have a round of applause for the wonderful, the only, Johnny Emmerman. The last thing I'm going to say really quick, any fighters or survivors out there looking to be matched up, please go to AmbermanAngels.org. I don't have a computer in front of me, so if anyone's emailing me, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's why I'm not responding. Um, I think we're, we're short. There's a lot of people in here. But I want to say any fighters out there looking to be matched, please. We have four survivors in the office right now. 
uh, ready to help out. So please reach out. And any survivor who wants to give back, join us. Over 2,000 of us worldwide, and uh, we just want to keep making the matches make a difference for everybody in the fight. You just want a second round of applause. Oh, yeah. no, no, Thanks for having me again. I'm flattered to be here as always. Always a pleasure to see you. You guys didn't give me a hard, much of a hard time today. No jokes no, about actually, one ball. Johnny, I was going to thank you in the manner that you email people. So, hey, boy, <laughs> thanks nice. for coming on the show, number one. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Right. Very accurate. Well, let's segue into our second series of guests. We got to do a little bit of a, of a swap around here. Why don't you two guys... Take these two guys' places, swap headphones. When the music stops, sit down, grab a microphone and a headphone. It's musical cancer. If you're out, then you're out. (laughs) All right. My next two guests simultaneously taking the stand. Dr. Joni Hope is a women's cancer surgeon currently completing her gynecology fellowship training at NYU Medical Center. She grew up in Colorado, where she developed her love of singing and and rock guitar at a young age. In college on the West Coast, she studied jazz guitar and music theory. But it wasn't until med school that she began to really write and play original music. Dr. Hope and their colleagues formed the rock band No Evidence of Disease, where she is the lead vocalist. Alrighty. And Dr. Nemesh Nagarshev is also a women's cancer surgeon currently practicing at Mount Sinai in New York City and Englewood Hospital and Medical Center in New Jersey. In 2008, he joined together with five other gynecological oncologists, including Dr. Hope, to, from around the country to support the Gynecologic Cancer Foundation and began an international campaign to raise awareness for gynecologic cancers through music and the arts, which is what you guys know I'm all about. So he and his colleagues, again, Johnny Hope, started No Evidence of Disease and landed a record deal with Motima Music. You're listening to Third Person Reality, which is a song from their album. I'm going to fade out here so we can properly welcome our two guests, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Nemesh Nagarshev and Johnny Hope. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy exciting. Nothing really pleases me more, A, to know that people are using their creative talents for good and that if you are – and that it's not your job, where you are able to take like this secondary track of your life and apply it to something that has so much breadth and meaning. And, and I mean, most of you know out there that I'm a concert pianist and I only started playing again with my own concerts this, last year in New York City. And it's so important that we have outlets to express ourselves and then be able to share those expressions with people who are really in need of hearing it. And the second part is that you're doctors and you're creative people and you have personalities and you appreciate the landscape that's going out there right now and how valuable this type of emotional, practical, psychological support is out there, not just to raise awareness but to raise spirits and empower people. So I'm going to um, just turn it over to, uh, to Joni first. Can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your history? Uh, obviously, Colorado to New York is a big, uh, big transition, although it's one degree here, so you're probably feeling at home. And uh, how you uh, turned your vocal career uh, into what you're doing now. 
certainly, well, I actually never had a vocal career, but um, I'll certainly tell you how I got to this point. Um, I grew up in Colorado, and then I, um, I actually went to college in California and ended up uh, pursuing all my medical training out here in New York. And music was a theme for me from a very, very young age. Um, you know, sort of a fantasy, but never something that I thought would necessarily develop into a career as much as a passion and uh, a passion that I carried with me throughout throughout my life. And uh, when I actually went to medical school, I was quite surprised because of, during the actual training of becoming a doctor, I found that being able to write and play and sing, e- even on my own time, was an amazing outlet, sort of a yin and a yang of, of studying science and learning about medicine. But I'll tell you, once I hit residency and OBGYN, obstetrics and gynecology, which is how all of the doctors in this band started as residents in obstetrics and gynecology, uh, I did not have any time at all, really, to pursue my my musical outlet. So once I began to specialize and become a gynecologic oncologist, sort of out of, really almost out of nowhere, this opportunity to be in this rock band of GYN oncologists, and then not only that, but use that as a medium to... um, to increase awareness and outreach and uh, touch, hopefully touch other people's lives who are dealing with, with, with cancers and gynecologic malignancies in particular, well, that was really, uh, you know, just an amazing blend of, of this creative part of me and this doctor part of me. I have to just jump in here, Matt, because I, I cannot uh, ignore something that I saw in your bio on the website, which is that back in Colorado, I believe it was, you started out singing... Uh, dressed as a gorilla, delivering singing telegrams, and then you also worked for a private investigator, and you say, you served up singing subpoenas. Is that right? You've got to tell us the story. All right. Well. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That 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 gets one of these first. <laughs> All right. You can go ahead now. No, no, no. Actually, the, the, when I was in college at, out in California, um, I had a brief sort of uh, job as a, doing singing telegrams, you know, to help sort of supplement the college tuition, so to speak. And then uh, after college, before becoming a doctor, I actually worked as a private investigator for five years, became a licensed private investigator in, in, uh, in California, in San Francisco. And during that time, I actually found that the singing telegram, you know, history, background was, was quite useful in uh, in, in some of the subpoena outreach that I had to do now and then. I, I like that term, the subpoena outreach. <laughs> Love it. Fantastic. It's, it's not enough that she's a doc, an esteemed doctor <laughs> and is musically inclined, but by the way, she was also a private investigator. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we still like her. Did you tie our roofs also at the same time? Drive a cab maybe? Fabulous. <laughs> but it's interesting, though, you guys, um, and maybe Numesh or, you know, whoever wants to address this, so many doctors, in, I'd love to talk about who does the songwriting, because your lyrics are obviously very tied into healing and very much in what you do, but a lot of doctors really want to step completely away from anything having to do with healing or a patient, because it's too much and too overwhelming. Yet you make your music very much a part of this. Can you speak to, to why and how that is? Actually, the uh, song we were just listening to, the segue in song, is third-person reality, and it's ex- exactly about that concept, about how doctors oftentimes step away from being across from the patient and actually almost a third person in a room. 
uh, not able to take on that, that responsibility or that um, burden of sorts to deal with that. And, and that is one of the struggles that we deal with, with uh, cancer patients all the time as doctors. Um, and that was the inspiration for that song. And it's essentially a dis defense mechanism where you can kind of remove yourself from that one-on-one um, -on -one or one-to-one -one interaction that uh, you need. The end of the song, uh, when you get to the end of the song, the doctor actually realizes that and comes back to the patient and says, no, we need to make this one-on-one -on -one contact hand-in-hand -hand we need to hold, and together we're going to get through this. And so I think music was a great um, source and venue for us to kind of express these feelings. And that particular song had a lot of input from a lot of the different band members, and even the record company had some input on um, putting that song together. Uh, and it was very interesting to me to see that that song, of all the songs on the album, really sparked a lot of emotion from everyone that heard it as it started off in, you know, to the finished product. Do you want to cut away to a, a full, full song? We can listen to a whole song here. Sure. I think we were talking about Life Force. All right. Uh, what's the name of the album, by the way? Is it just called No Evidence of, no evidence of Disease? Self-entitled album, No Evidence of Disease. Eponymous. How eponymous of you. And before you actually cut away to that, I just wanted to say that, you know, Nemish and I are the two members of this band that are in New York City, but we're, um, our other members are, we have uh, the, another lead vocalist and one of our guitar players um, in North Carolina, as well as our rhythm guitar players in North Carolina. Our lead guitar player lives in Portland, Oregon, and our bass player is in Texas. So this is really um, a uh, national group. And uh, just in answer to your question about the songwriting, um, really every one of us has contributed in some way to some of the songs that, that you're going to see on this first album, which is a six-song CD. So um, some of the songs that you're going to play, in fact, if you decide to play Life Force, you're going to hear John Boggess, who's the other lead singer, who's going to be singing the lead on that. All right, well, this is Life Force from No Evidence of Disease. Here we go.
Look at that. That's a good song. I think we're getting a little stagged through iTunes. I'm just going to clean up the next track. Wait, wait, just let me advance. What, what's the next track you wanted to play for later in the show? Uh, we'll probably do Rhythm Heels. All right. I'll work on that while you guys keep talking. Johnny, will you have this dance with me? <laughs> Very nice. So uh, can you guys just, I mean, again, it's, it's your doctors. You get it. You're young. You're hip. You're relevant. Um, this show obviously is about young adult cancer, young adult movement, the grave disparities that face our generation that don't necessarily apply to other age groups. I love the fact that you guys are sensitive to that. You get it. I know you said you did some R&D on the movement before you got on the show. But what are your thoughts on, as doctors, because any cancer under 40 is considered a rare disease, How and, and obviously if a young adult is coming to you, they've probably already been diagnosed. And I'm not sure how many young adults you have seen in your practice that were diagnosed with a gynecologic cancer, but can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on how we might improve the the family practitioner model of symptom identification and whether that's something that can be done once they're through school and they're already in practice or something we just need to start from scratch and embed new curriculum while they're going through it to learn these subtleties. I guess we'll start with Joni because she doesn't seem like she has an answer. <laughs> no, she does. Sure, I'd be happy to start that one out. You know, I think the question is, is how can we um, how can we work with our family practitioners and and people who are sort of the frontline doctors when when a patient comes in describing uh, symptoms or maybe no symptoms at all and and is just having a checkup and how can we sort of increase our threshold of concern so that so that uh, young people can can reach uh, diagnosis earlier and get to in our case to an oncologist in time to hopefully catch catch these diseases as early as we possibly can. Well, one thing I would say is um for GYN malignancies in particular, a lot of a lot of the younger people who are affected, um you know, there can be clues in what's going on in their family um and what's happened in their family in the past. That's not always the case, but that can be the case and just honestly having a very open conversation um and taking an excellent history can sometimes um provide a very critical clue um, as to what may need to be done and um, and how you can better screen for potential problems that may come up. In fact, um, just just today I was seeing a patient with one of my mentors, and she said that you know uh, this patient was a friend of, of of her family members, and they had happened to be having dinner together. And while they were at dinner, they're both young women. While they're at dinner together, um, you know the the patient in this case starts to tell my mentor you know about her family history, and the family history was so concerning that uh you know that that my mentor ended up saying hey you know what why don't you just come talk to me in the office and let's see if we can't you know i think this is something we should probably pursue and and lo and behold she did actually end up having a, a mutation and and is now being followed hopefully as appropriately as we possibly can at this point in time so part of it is having a low threshold of concern and really speaking openly and being able to take an excellent history Nimesh, you want to Nimesh? add yeah you're up yeah i think uh in addition to everything that Joni said, the real issue that I've come across when dealing with patients um, or you know, taking care of patients in the younger age group is awareness and just understanding the symptoms and being more aware of the symptoms. And a lot of that problem, I think, comes with communication 
and being able to openly discuss uh, symptoms and uh, discover the signs when they, they come on exam. Uh, we have to find a way to communicate better and make it more ex acceptable to talk about, for us, we're talking about gynecologic cancers. And, you know, the band is actually one way that we're trying to do this and increase awareness by making it okay to talk about it. And we were talking a little bit earlier in the studio, uh, just in the 1970s, it really wasn't really okay in society to talk about breast cancer. But now breast cancer is very well known. Uh, they have a very strong marketing campaign uh, with breast cancer. We need to bring gynecologic cancers up to that level of awareness. And just to go over, it's, it's funny, just even as a, as a woman and somebody who even had breast cancer, I mean, I had to go through and just refresh, okay, what is everything that falls under that category? Because it's, you know, you, from cervical to endometrium, and there's all kinds of things, and it can seem sort of very confusing. And, and, there, and unfortunately, I mean, I know one of the tips you may offer is sort of self-examination, but there's not really much that can be done in that area, correct? Yeah, I mean, it... Especially for young for young women, you know, it's it's harder to say. Well, if you're having irregular bleeding, for example, that's a absolutely heralding concern for endometrial cancer. You know, because of the normal cycle that women have, and and uh, you know, for young women and older women, unfortunately, ovarian cancer is not something that we're yet able to catch catch early. There's no good screening for that. So absolutely. Um, well, actually, there is good screening for ovarian cancer. Johnny told us a story today about a woman who got shot in the leg, and because she went to the hospital, they found it in a, in a bone scan or something. Exactly. So there, there's your early detection, ladies. Get shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. Well, the other, the other uh, thing to think about is also we do have very good preventive measures for certain types of cancer. Cervical cancer is one of the best examples of a screening program that's been uh, you know, very successful. Pap smears and now the HPV vaccination uh, are, you know, highly recommended for the young adults. And thank you. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, so we would like to, you know, make that more accessible to to the young adults and let them know that that's out there. And uh, that's part of this. The goal is just the awareness. Uh, it, the facilities are there. The uh, the technology is there, but we need to get it to the next level of actually getting all that to the patients, and that's really not that hard to do, but uh, something that we still are struggling with as physicians anyway. I think there's also a tendency, and certainly this is true for me as a, as a you know, younger woman, to just sort of think I'm fine, you know, and to sort of ignore any kind of, of uh, pressure or irregular symptoms that I might have because, hey, I'm, you know, it couldn't be me. And so when you add that to the picture, that also makes it even harder. A very basic question. Uh, it's probably been asked many times on this show. But the term "no evidence for disease," which is the name of your band, NED, when did that actually come into being? And that has sort of supplanted the "in remission." Can you just sort of talk about and clearly define those, those terms? Well, remission is technically when a patient that had had cancer is now without an evidence of cancer by clinical exam findings, other uh, findings that we can use, x-rays, et cetera. Uh, but it's not necessarily a cure. A uh, cure is technically five years out for most cancers. Is that still the magic number, five years? I, I think that's a number that we use as physicians. Obviously, uh, there's certain patients that have a very early stage type cancer that 
had a procedure that you kind of know that they're cured uh, early on, for example, and you tell the patient and you reassure them, you know, there's essentially no recurrence rate for this type of cancer. But in general, we use five years as a standard. Uh, no evidence of disease is more a assessment of a patient at a given time point. So at a time point, the patient comes in, they've had a, evidence of, you know, they've had diagnosis of cancer in the past, they've been treated, now they have no evidence of disease. Now they can be in remission, they can be cured, um, either way it's a great place to be. Right. So. Uh, I, I want to cut to the second track, I think we can take a listen to this. Um, hopefully it'll play a little cleaner. But um, can you talk a little about the about this song, which is called uh, "Rhythm Heals"? I mean, obviously it's it sounds like a self fulfilling prophecy. Um, but what what are the origins of this song? Uh, actually, the origins of the song were um, this is actually a song that I I uh, wrote after um, an pract practically an all night rehearsal before a gig that we played together uh, early on as as a band in Chicago and. Um, it was like three in the morning, and we it was we were trying to get back to our hotel from from the studio we were practicing in, and we ended up finding the last cab. We shoved ourselves, all six of us, into it, and and I said, I'm going to write a song about this, guys. Fantastic. And, and uh, that's really what this is about. But really, you know, the bigger picture is that, you know, this this whole journey that we've been on as a band has been very healing to all of us because, um, you know, being the kind of doctors that we are, it absolutely affects us. It affects it permeates our entire lives. Um, both amazingly enriching and also amazingly painful at times. And um, music has, has been a healing medium for us, and we, we know it's a healing medium for, for the people around us and our patients, and we're hoping that we're able to blend that through the music that we're creating together. That was fantastic. <laughs> was that scripted? <laughs> All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Second song from No Evidence of Disease. It's called Rhythm Heals.
I think the audio is a little crusty on the first one. I apologize for that, but uh, I, I assure you the audio is that good of quality on all the songs on their album. Uh, that was Rhythm Hills from No Evidence of Disease. Turning it back over to the lovely Lisa. You know, it's just it made me think actually that song about um, when I was going through breast cancer. A good friend of mine gave me a mixtape because it was back in the day when people still made mixtapes. Mixtape. Um, yeah, and it was called Positivity for Lisa B. <laughs> and it was just all songs that he could find that were sort of uplifting songs, and which of course helped me tremendously. I'm as a as a music lover. But um, let's completely switch topics here and talk about HPV and uh, and Gardasil and uh, young girls getting this injection. And again, another thing with, that I'm confused about, which is that the connection between HPV and gynecologic cancers, uh, clearly there's the one with cervical cancer, which is Gardasil is uh, addressing spe- specifically, and it plays a factor in other gynecologic cancers as well, or no? Vaginal and vulvar cancers would be also associated with HPV. So there's essentially, for the Gardasil vaccination, if we want to just talk about that to kind of focus, uh, there's four specific um, viral types, and they call it HPV 6, 11, 16, and 18. 6 and 11 have been mostly associated with genital warts, 16 and 18 mostly with cancer. Um, And a large number of the gynecologic uh, cancer, cervical cancer specifically, uh, is has been associated with uh, the HPV uh, infection. Now, even though it's technically a sexually transmitted disease, it's it's actually very common in um, young adults. And, and once you have it, technically you you have the virus for life. So it can go away, it can come back, etc. But usually, viral infections technically are are permanent. But um, in general, uh, the vaccination is now being recommended for people from 9 to 26 years old. Uh, there is a push from the company that makes Gardasil to extend that, and they're doing the research to extend that to see if there's benefit to mid-40s, in fact. But that's not, that's not been out yet. So. Do you have a take on the controversy that's going on with, like, the right-wing people on this? Well, there's a lot of controversy with Gardasil because it's, first of all, difficult to talk to people and say that your daughter at age nine years old would need a vaccination that for a, quote, sexually transmitted disease. Uh, so that right there stirs a lot of controversy, and I can understand that. Uh, the benefits from having the vaccination, I think, have been clear in the medical community, medical community to uh, clearly outweigh any risks that are associated with it. The majority of adverse effects with Gardasil have really just been pain at the injection site and um, you know, pain with administration. There has been some reported cases of seizures, and there are other controversial uh, topics in the um, press that I don't know that we need to really go in detail with. But for as far as proven adverse effects that uh, are listed on the um, FDA website, for example, uh, it's largely the ones we just talked about in general. You know, I had a, a, another question involving when you um, have to walk into a patient and bring them some unfortunate news. Is there any sort of training that you have along the way in medical school, medical school or anywhere to sort of teach you how to have that, for lack of a better term, bedside manner, or how to, or is it just your own instinct or? How do you go about uh, breaking 
some news that might not be necessarily cheery to patients. You know, some, some programs have sort of formalized workshops or training in, in how to sort of talk about difficult topics with patients, um, but I think the vast majority of us as doctors learn by watching other people do it and shadowing and um, being exposed to those kinds of conversations over and over again. And, I, and uh, you see what you think is good and you see what you think is not good in the people who, who you see having these conversations. Um, they do make a, a concerted effort in medical school to, to work on bedside matters, so to speak, and to, you know, monitor how you interact with, with, with patients and um, give you direct feedback on that. And that certainly does extend into your, your residency and fellowship training. But, again, that, you know, the vast majority is, is just learning by, by seeing and then learning by doing. So I think it's a combination of training and, and I guess, you know, I guess instinct to a certain extent, whether you think that's good or bad. You know, we could probably all use more training in that. Well, we, we're going to wrap up the show real soon, but I wanted to uh, bring it back to uh, Dr. Nagersheth because not only are you a doctor, not only are you a very handsome man, not only are you single in New York, and not only are you a fabulous musician, but you are also an author. So tell us a little about this book. Uh, the book is Music and Cancer, uh, subtitled The Prescription for Healing. And the book really came out essentially almost the same week as the album came out, September 2009. But the thought for the book started way back in 2001. And I can just uh, briefly give you an idea of what started this um, thought process. It was September 11, 2001. Uh, obviously, in New York, it was a, you know, a bad day. bad day. And in November, I thought to myself, I need to do something to kind of just fight, you know, this this terrible fear that was now at that point really all over New York City. So I, I wanted to get on a flight. I just wanted to get on a plane and fly somewhere and kind of prove to myself that I could uh, fly again and not be worried about it. And so I chose to go to uh, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to college. And I met up with one of my music professors Jim Latimer, who was a very prominent uh, music professor at University of Wisconsin. And we sat down, we drank and ate and played music all night and sat and thought about life and just reflected on life. And he had a different way, he has a different way of looking at the world. And I realized at that point it was really through music that he sees life. And he seemed to be uh, really the in that point in my life, the, the most brilliant person I'd ever met, and he still is, I'd say. And I realized it was these analogies to music that kind of made life just a better way to understand what, what uh, happens. And we started writing down these ideas and came up with an idea for a book. That was back in 2001. But the, the few chapters we wrote and the outline we put together didn't really go anywhere. When the album uh, got... Uh, some press in uh, December 2008, when we were just getting ready to get this record deal going, I resurrected the idea for the book and kind of incorporated uh, everyone in this project. And uh, everyone in the band uh, wrote parts of chapters of books and kind of got my college professor back involved. And together we wrote this amazing book, uh, Music and Cancer, and kind of use it now as a tool to reflect on life, but specifically life with cancer. And the idea is if you understand music better, you'll probably understand uh, life with cancer better. And the analogies in the book uh, are really designed to help patients go through the process of 
going from diagnosis to throughout treatment of cancer and trying to make it in a better way, more palatable, easier to understand. And Joni, your name is at least on one chapter in this book I've seen, right? Yeah, I think it's one half of a chapter. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got a forward by Fran Drescher, who's coming on the show next week. That is true. Uh, That's very impressive. All right, I've got to ask one last question here. Now you guys are rock stars, or at least in the process of becoming rock stars. No, the audience, they had a huge audience in Portland. Huge. they're, They're big. Big, big, and, big. And we had some representation with Stupid Cancer. Yes, you did. Yeah. So We're everywhere. I've covered a lot of big uh, rock stars out there. What are the perks that you guys are looking for? What are the demands that you put in your contracts? Do you want only pink jelly beans backstage? They need roses thrown at Come on, we know go. you've got to start putting the demands in your contracts now as you go on tour. The Ned Rider. Come on, cough it up. Oh, is there some color of M&Ms that Will did not want? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> See? See? You knew it. You, you knew just it. get a little taste of fame. I mean, the doctor thing, it's all great and good. <laughs> You're helping people, but you get the rock star bug. It just takes a little taste of it, and all of a sudden you're demanding certain colors of M&Ms. But no, you, and, and rightly so, especially in your case. Fantastic. Shona, do you have anything to add to that? I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, we have to. We actually have to end the show. Uh, we went over for very good reasons. It was one of our best broadcasts. What a great way to kick off the new year! So um, I, let's give a hand for Dr. Nimish Nagarshev and uh, Dr. Joni Hope from the band No Evidence of Disease. Thank you guys for being on the show. I'd like to thank Jack Buffard, as always, and a special round of applause for the inaugural broadcast with my brand-new co-host, Lisa Bernard. Thank you, man. Great. Have a great time. Looking forward to next week. Looking forward to next week. All right. That's it, folks. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks. That's tonight's show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Johnny Irriman, doctors Nimish Nagarsheth and Johnny Hope, in-studio guests, Mary Assel and Amanda Freeman, Brian Sarkinen and Jenny Finn. Next week's show, Fran Treasure. In the artist spotlight, Brandon Schott, young adult survivor musician from L.A. Lori Minoff, founder of City Kids Foundation and the CEO of Cancer Schmancer. And Fran Treasure, uterine cancer survivor, Emmy-nominated actor, founder and visionary of Cancer Schmancer. If you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at itunes.i2y.com. If you don't already have Carol Rosendahl's book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in the 20s and 30s, it is available wherever books are sold. That's your give, Carol. We love you. We miss you. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck. Jack Buffard, Lisa Bernhardt, Captain Stooping, and I wish you all a great evening. Happy New Year. Go to bed, Leah. Fogger out. Love.